Welcome back to another episode of the Anglo Omani Society podcast. Today we welcome back our listeners to the second episode of our new series, this time with Sir Alan Duncan, a former British MP and one of Oman's oldest friends and staunchest advocates in the UK. We hope you enjoy. So we're thrilled to be joined by Sir Alan Duncan on the Anglo-Omani Society podcast. Sir Alan Duncan was a British Conservative politician and was the MP for Rutland and Melton from 1992 to 2019. During his political career, he has served as Minister of State for International Development and Foreign Minister until a year ago. He was also Prime Minister David Cameron's Special Envoy to Yemen. He was knighted in 2014 for services to international development and UK-Middle East relations. However, he is most importantly to us a long-standing friend of Oman and has been a supporter of Oman in the House of Commons for many years. Sir Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello. <laughs> First and foremost, um, I just want to start by asking you really, so where did your story with Oman begin? <laughs> well, I... Uh... I suppose it actually began before I entered Parliament because uh, I was in the oil business um, for 10 years and during that time did quite a lot of business in the Middle East. But funnily enough, although I went to Oman a couple of times, I, I never actually bought any of the oil. Uh, but I thought, hey, this is a, a lovely country and that this will have been in about... 1983, 1984, that kind of time. Then 10 years later, when I entered Parliament, um, funnily enough, it, it was Jonathan Aitken, who was uh, a Treasury Minister who had a lot of Middle East contacts, um, drew me into a number of meetings with visiting people from the Middle East, including some serious Omanis. And in 1993, he invited me to a lovely lunch uh, with His Majesty the Sultan, and that was the sort of launch. Um, the Sultan sort of looked me in the eye and said, you must visit. Excellent. And obviously you're, you're, you're well-known, um, very good friend of His Majesty, the, the late Sultan Caboose. I mean, are there any particular moments in, in your relationship with him that you, that you look back on as being particularly definitive or, or memorable? Well, the thing about Sultan Caboose is that every meeting was memorable. He, he, he always said something... You know that was wise and perceptive uh, and invariably enlightened that made you stop and think and of course appreciate him um, in international affairs he was i think one of the most remarkable pivotal figures in the region uh, with not an ounce of malice he had authority and i think wisdom always trying to draw the sides together and find a solution rather than sort of pursue any kind of nasty aggressive policy like uh, many of the neighbors um, but at a personal level he was always very amusing uh, entertaining um, and engaging I mean formal polite but in many ways sort of very light in his touch and his sort of manner I mean he always used to tease me at dinner and I say your majesty I followed your instructions and uh, I have as you told me eaten three puddings he said, Alan, you must have four. <laughs> I was always one too few and left every dinner rather larger than when I arrived. <laughs> and just looking at His Majesty the Sultan's um, and foreign policy and, and particularly in Omar, it's obviously got this very well-publicised um, kind of friends to all, enemy to none. Mm. I mean, how do you think it has managed to, to delicately tread that, that such fine balance in, in a region and, uh, and a world, really, which is kind of characterised by, by entrenched division? 
Well, I mean, Oman is bang in the middle of it and is not the richest, but I think is, uh, in a way, uh, the cleverest. I mean, first of all, start with the history of the country, a great maritime country which looked, you know, to Zanzibar, to India, uh, to Yemen, of course, uh, uh, really uh, pivotally placed geographically in the region. Um, but His Majesty, from the, the start in 1970, um, having valued the... Um, uh, assistance of the Shah in Iran uh, before 70 and then afterwards to the conclusion of the Dofar War had always had an affection for um, Iran. But he, of course, um, uh, respects and, and recognized the scale and wealth of his neighbors to the north, Saudi Arabia, the, the Emirates. Um, the concern he had for Yemen was, of course, informed and uh, very human right there next to them through Makra, you know, the poverty, the instability, uh, always, uh, I think, concerned the, the human side of his character. But he was very good with the human relations and reasoning through things through. But of course, he, his authority did not extend just to the immediate region. Um, it was recognized uh, in the UK and the United States. Um, and he was a pivotal figure. And so Mani foreign policy is one which I think uh, should have been listened to more over the years, um, and you know, cleverness and wisdom should speak more than just money. Absolutely, absolutely. And with, I mean, it looks as if Oman will will now look towards its its neighbours for some sort of um, economic assistance package to to help weather the storm around the oil price crisis and and COVID nineteen. Does it concern you that, that a form of bailout might, might come with a set of conditions that might jeopardise Oman's kind of well-publicised neutrality? Well, I obviously hope it doesn't. I mean, uh, I think they'd be wise not to take Chinese money, for instance. But uh, I, I think that the economic pressure was building uh, before this last year. And I, I think, you know, our concern, and we, I said this when I was in government, to... Um, uh, the Omanis is, is, is that you know, you've got to be careful with the money because oil is not going to stay at 90 bucks forever and if it goes down um, then you know the deficit goes up and younger people are getting older and will be wanting jobs and so the economic pressure is severe so there will have to be I think uh, significant restraints and reductions in certain budgets uh, it may need help from neighbours um, there are other ways of doing it, of course. In a, in a world of low interest rates, you could perhaps uh, borrow and um, extend the repayments at a relatively low servicing cost over a long period. But I think these pressures are going to be severe. And I know um, uh, the new Sultan, His Majesty Sultan Haytham, is doing a lot of thinking about how we can do this, of course, without uh, creating very, very uh, destabilizing social unrest. If we could just touch on on what you mentioned about China, so obviously China are, are looking to strengthen those strategic partnerships uh, with Oman. You know, they're a big importer of Oman's crude oil exports. They, they've recently bought a, I think, forty nine percent stake in in Oman's electricity uh, transmission company. There's a huge amount of Chinese investment in Dukum. I mean, from a UK perspective, does this look as if Oman is 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 reorientating east? Well, it doesn't matter where the oil goes because, you know, oil can go anywhere. It's a, it's a world price and a world market. So um, it, it, it's not a restricted market like, you know, 
motor cars where certain countries like certain cars and don't buy other cars you know oil is oil it's, it's an interchangeable variable uh, product um investing in infrastructure um would cause me some concerns depending on what the conditions are and we know that the chinese have in some other countries um bought into infrastructure on very soft loans and then when the loans are not repaid for various economic reasons claim ownership of the infrastructure so um be careful what you mortgage mm. and with that with the uk relationship um obviously it's it's deeply rooted in history it's um there's the 1800 treaty which, which famously refers to it as unshook till the end of time you know it's a relationship which has survived the, the fall of the british empire um two world wars the discovery of oil a lot of upheaval in in the middle east um i mean do you, do you think this is relationship is is as important to both countries as it once was well what i succeeded in doing when i was minister was in um uh late 2015 early uh, not 15 uh, 18 uh, early 2019 um we signed a new agreement uh, with oman a comprehensive agreement which was designed to say that we the uk will engage as best we can and as helpfully as we can not just in defense and security but in all aspects of omani activity health education infrastructure uh, finance you know things like that so this refresh of our commitment at uh you know was a critical moment sort of as good as 50 years after we um you know worked with sultan kabus to, to get him ruling um was designed to say look we're here to stay uh, and we are and so i'd like you know our end in the uk across government to appreciate in all the various government departments that they have a, a, an obligation now through this agreement to think oman and to work out how any kind of productive relationship between our two countries uh, can actually just really get going mm. and and where do you see that being in 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 terms of what kind of sector i think we've we've heard a lot about oman um trying to kind of reposition itself as a kind of technology and an innovation hub um and and the relationship as it as it evolves there's a lot of talk about kind of digital collaboration between uh, the UK and Oman do you see any other particular sectors which you think the UK is particularly well placed i mean we obviously want ones where there's going to be employment i mean there are lots of areas where you know we we should be cooperating in terms of you know advising participating you know, it includes tourism of course uh, we're building i think a uk company's building some hospitals um there can be educational cooperation medical cooperation you know we're training a lot of omani doctors and we, for instance we need to make sure that our visa um constraints allow for the period of time it takes to get qualified and then you need interchangeability of those qualifications things like that so uh, we need to do a, a lot of things in as many sectors as we can to make it as easy to go from Oman to the UK and back again as it is from the UK at the moment to sort of France and back again so yeah compatibility in all areas is one of the things that could really help absolutely and when we spoke a bit earlier um uh, we talked about you know oil and and the fact that it's it's a resource with a with a finite supply i mean obviously oman's looking to to diversify its economy and and reduce its oil dependency what would you view as as the main challenges in in the short and medium term here 
Well, this is not just uh, an Oman issue, of course. I mean, it's equally that of Saudi Arabia, less so perhaps the UAE. Um, and uh, yes, the energy fossil fuels are finite. I mean, shifting to gas, I think, will, uh, of course, increase income and um, uh, lengthen the usefulness of uh, fossil products. I mean, I think gas will keep going. I mean, oil will keep going for some time yet. But you know, in, in 20, 25 years, the picture is going to be very, very different. So building up an economy, um, which uh, means that Omanis of all ages can have a job, is the big challenge. So it will mean, I think, that Omanis are going to have to do a lot of jobs they don't do at the moment. Uh, but they need the opportunity to do that. So that needs uh, a, a lot of thinking to... Uh, encourage and motivate and incentivize sectors which are able to employ people. Hmm. And, you, and you hear a lot at the moment about um, omanization and, and reducing um, the amount of kind of foreign expatriate workers um, in, in the UK, um, both in, in traditionally kind of blue collar and, uh, and white collar jobs. What, 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 how do you evaluate that? Do you think it's, it's, it's a sensible move and, and, and much needed or? Um, do you think there's there's certain caveats to that? I, I think the whole argument about expat employment doesn't mean anything unless you're more specific. Do you mean those who are sweeping the roads, or do you mean the senior managers of, say, you know, a petrochemical refinery or something like that? In order for anyone to get engaged in this argument, being specific is is so important. Um, I pick an example. I mean, when I walk into a hotel in Oman, I'd much rather have an Omani behind the desk. Um, who is obviously an Omani. It's just, it goes with the, you know, the hospitality experience and the, 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 the sort of feeling that you are in Oman. And, of course, you know, the identity of an Omani is so distinctive. It, it's a pleasure when it's, it's visible in a form like that. So, I mean, that's somewhere between those who are, you know, employed uh, in, in, in less sophisticated jobs and those who are very sophisticated managers. And I, I just like omanization in that sort of area. Absolutely. And, and uh, on the hospitality front, um, I know our listeners in Oman would, would love to know, what, what would you say if you had to pick a kind of top three Oman experiences from the, as a tourist, what would you give? Uh, <laughs> oh, as, as a, a tourist, rather than someone who had, you know, such fortunate access to um, uh, such senior people in Oman over nearly 30 years. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to go for a tourist to make it accessible. <laughs> I mean, I've seen the Jebel, the Jebel Akhtar change so dramatically over 25 years. You know, when I first went up there, there wasn't really a road. It was a a bumpy um, a track which a Land Rover struggled up. Now, of course, you can whiz up there in minutes on a beautiful tarmac road, and there are fantastic hotels uh, on the summit. So that's something that's changed. Um, I love the sands, of course. Um, the coastline, I just want it to remain a beautiful and natural without too many sort of concrete hotels pushed right down to the water at water's edge. So... Um, I, I, I hope the fantastic coastline of Oman will be uh, preserved and, and planned for in a very careful way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that in terms of the tourism model uh, moving forward, I know Oman has quite ambitious plans for, for how much kind of, of GDP tourism will make up. But um, 
as you said, I, I think it's so important, but it doesn't lose its, its kind of unique charm and, and beauty, which makes it so, so different from other parts of, of the Middle East. Mm. I mean, too many people come in on package holiday, go to a hotel, don't leave it, and, you know, the money goes to the, the nice, rich owners of the hotel because they don't get out and spread the wealth um, across the country. So they, they, you've got to encourage them to go out and explore, and then they'll, they'll actually have a much happier holiday because it's such a fantastic country. Definitely, definitely. And meet real Emanis. Um, that's um, excellent. And in terms of, say, I guess if we just... We, Close to finishing up, but if, if, if I could just ask you for um, how you would summarise and, and reflect on, on the legacy of, of His Majesty, the, the late Sultan Qaboos, and, and what he meant personally to you. Oman has extraordinary dignity. It is a proper nation-state. Um, and uh, as one of my friends always points out, you know, the government is not just a family business. Um, the government is, is uh, government positions are filled by a diversity of people from all sorts of backgrounds. That they're not not all from one family, uh, unlike the other Gulf states. I think you have a a country which is seen to be clean, disciplined, elegant, uh, beautiful, uh, but I think with economic pressure that that's the problem. But one which is I think an example of dignity. Uh, in the region and civility more so I think than um, any other and it's a beacon really to its neighbours and I hope that Omanis will appreciate the legacy of Sultan Qaboos who built it from almost nothing to what it is today and I hope they will respect that legacy by appreciating that you know if, if they work hard and, and uh, try and maintain the dignity and prosperity of the country that's the best way they can say thank you to him uh, for building it from nothing absolutely i think they're fine words and i'm sure that um that those views are, are widely reflected in oman and, and internationally throughout the world thank you so much for joining us today um it's been lovely to chat to you and i, I really appreciate you uh, you taking this on my pleasure thank you i've much enjoyed it we hope you found this episode fascinating. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to learn more about the society, head to ao-soc.org. We look forward to welcoming you next week. And please don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs>